0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, our minister to students, Tony Richmond. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to open to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 this morning, the title of the message is Jesus Loves the Little Children. And um, as you find your way there, just a disclaimer, the sermon is not really about children, right? As we'll see, uh, this instance with the disciples and Jesus and the children exposed a false way of thinking a bad way of thinking that the disciples had exposed them to Jesus. And uh, we'll see what Jesus has to say about that. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 13. We'll read together. It says, They were bringing children to Him that He might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant, And said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. You know, you can tell a lot about a a neighborhood, a community, by what kind of stores, what kind of amenities it has within that given community. For example, you can tell about a community a lot if it has a Walmart versus a Central Market. We're talking about two different things. I know my wife and I have experienced these kinds of differences. Uh, you know, we have three biological children. They're two, four, six years old. And uh, you, most of you all know we're foster parents, so at times we have four. And so, you know, when we go into a store, we're going in there. There's a train of kids and, you know, we go into Walmart and kids are kids, right? They're, they can be a little rowdy. They're They're riding on the cart, in the cart. They're riding under the cart where you put the dog food, you know, at the bottom, belly first. And in Walmart, it's interesting. People kind of look at you and they're like, been there, done that, like, no problem. Like, in fact, that's just sort of the way Walmart is. It's not a judgy kind of place. I don't recommend this. There is a website called peopleofwalmart.com and you can actually go on there and see how tolerant walmart really is it really is however you go we've taken our kids in the central market before you get some looks in that place right i mean people are like oh you're the worst parent ever you would let your kid ride on the side of the car, like, that's not safe. Don't you read the little thing in the seat that says, don't let your kid get in there. And you've let your kid get right. But that's just sort of the way it is. Um, now, all that to say like, even in Central Market sometimes or other places, people, people come up to us and ask us like, are all these kids yours? Like, yeah, or better yet, you know what causes this, right? And we're like, yeah, we got it, right? But, and look, I'm not a proponent. I'm not a person that would say every couple should have four kids or five kids or 10 kids or whatever. Like some couples, maybe the Lord hasn't called you to have. I know I was, I heard one pastor and he said that the first, um, the first gift that every married couple should register for for like their showers was a minivan, so they could fill it up with So I'm not to that point. However, it is significant that in the culture that we live, there is sort of this mindset toward families, especially if you have, like two seems to be okay, three's starting to get questionable. If you go to four, you've sort of gone radical on people but that's sort of just the way our culture in a lot of cultures around the world for children is nothing right It's very small but in ours of course that's sort of an anomaly and um, so yeah I, I, this, this issue of children it even raises its head in our culture. in fact, I can remember a time in my life where I sort of bought into that central market view of children I we I, we had just gotten out of college. We got married. Uh, I had some debt from college. And I remember we were struggling. I mean, we were making it, but barely. And I remember thinking at that time, if Kristen, my wife, gets pregnant, we're in trouble. <laughs> because we're not, like, we're already burdened enough with life. But to add a child on top of that, there's no way we could have done that and so I remember having that uh, way of thinking and then we thought okay the time was right and so Kristen takes one of these little tests and it's positive and we're happy and all of that and then she goes to the doctor and the doctor says there's no heartbeat and she would admit it was at that point when I began to realize children are more than just a piece of my wife and I. Children are a gift from God, right? And they're to be adored and they're to be taken care of and they're to be cherished and all of that. And then once we started having kids, the Lord blessed us uh, with kids. Then you start to realize even with children, it doesn't come without cost, right? You're going to lose some sleep, you're going to get some gray hair. Like it, It's work and there's a cross to bear even with having um, children. And no doubt in the world in which we live, there's this prevailing view in our culture, this mindset that goes even beyond children, but just how valuable really is life. Who is valuable and that kind of thing. Right now, there's probably a young woman right here within a rock's throw from our church who's just found out she's pregnant and she's scared to death and tomorrow she's going to go online and google and try to find options because she doesn't think that she can take care of this baby or maybe over in somewhere in south asia there's a young girl who's being trafficked and she's going to be sent to some hotel room to do unspeakable things with people because this is the value this is how we value people in our world how are they valued what gives them value there's a baby laying in a rough russian orphanage this morning crying to no one's avail nothing's happening there are foster children who've been taken out of homes and they're in a CPS worker's office, maybe even right now as we speak, and they're trembling because they've been taken from, taken from everything that they've ever known, and they're about to go to some stranger's house. There's an elderly woman locked away in some nursing home who is crying and is desperate for someone to just come talk to her. How do we value people? Why do people matter in our culture? That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what this little instance between Jesus and the disciples was all about. It was all about they failed to recognize the the value that Jesus places on people versus the value that the world around them puts on them. Of course, this way of thinking was not new. For those of us who've grown up in the church, this passage in Mark chapter 10 is very familiar to us. Often we see depictions of this story in the children's ministry up on the the walls or that kind of thing because it seems to be this nice little story where Jesus brings the... And it was certainly that. But... In this passage, we have a side of Jesus becoming indignant and angry like we don't often see throughout the scripture. So because of that, we take notice and we want to look deeply and see what does this say about how we value, how we look at people It's interesting, this passage, uh, Luke, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 18, he gives us a little bit of a broader view of the context of, of Jesus and the disciples and the children. Luke sandwiches it between two stories that Jesus told. The first story that comes before this, you all probably remember this, it's the story of the Pharisee who... In speaking about getting into heaven, he said, thank you, God, that I'm not like these other sinners. I'm not as bad as these people. Look at me. I've got all of my life together, and now I'm ready to go to heaven. So there's that passage. Then we have this story that we're about to study. And then after this story in Luke 18 and in Mark 10, we have the story of the rich young ruler. Remember, he wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, okay, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, then you can follow me. And it says that the rich young man went away sorrowfully. So in that context, these guys, that have it all. They have the power, the Pharisees, they have the money, And now right in between those stories, we have this instance with Jesus and the disciples. Let's look at it again, starting in verse 13. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Now, why were they bringing their children to him? Well, it doesn't really say, but we could probably uh, come to some logical conclusions. Maybe some of their children were sick. By this point in Jesus' ministry, his teaching and some of his miracles had begun to draw quite the crowd of people. And so likely there would have been some parents who had children who were sick or had some disease and they wanted to bring their children to Jesus so that Jesus might see them or touch them or heal them. And even if their children were not sick, I mean, for all of us who are parents, we've been in that position with our children. We're thinking, what kind of person are you gonna grow up to be? Like we have these aspirations for our children to grow up and to, to love God and serve God and all of that. And so maybe some of those parents had just heard, this is what this man is doing. I just want my child to be as close to this man as I can, that he may influence them some way positively. So we don't know why, but these people were definitely bringing their children um, to Jesus. But look what the disciples did. It says, the disciples rebuked them. Rebuked probably the children and their parents. Now, what's going on here? Now in the days of Jesus, much like in many cultures today, uh, children were loved and valued and that kind of thing, but children were often seen as a nuisance, right? They were often seen as just kind of uh, not the most valuable people to be dealt with. So it seems that in this passage, the disciples were doing what they thought was the best thing to do. I mean, let's think about it for a second. Jesus had come. He was building his kingdom. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. And so the disciples probably thought, the children can wait. Like, Jesus needs to go and he needs to connect with the political leaders and the religious leaders because he needs his message to be propagated through these people with power. So the disciples probably thought the children can wait because we need to get Jesus in front of these people. That's when Jesus became indignant, it says, verse 14. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Jesus exhibits anger that we do not often see him Exhibiting, do you all remember the story where Jesus uh, is out on the Sea of Galilee in the boat, and the storm comes, and Jesus is sleeping? Now we we hear that passage, or we read it, and we think we would expect Jesus to pop up and be sort of frantic and run to the edge of the boat, and but when you read that passage, it's almost as if Jesus is kind of just waking up walking out you know he's like guys you guys need to settle down like peace and boom right so it's interesting that in points of the scriptures we would expect jesus to become sort of a little more urgent a little stronger tone in his voice those are not the times where he typically shows that kind of frantic nature uh direct tone he's totally calm And composed, but in this instance, Jesus was ticked and he was indignant and he demanded that the disciples bring the children in. Now, why would Jesus be like this with the disciples? Didn't they just misunderstand? Maybe they just missed it. Well, he was already trying to teach them. Flip back one page to Mark chapter 9 and let's look in verse 33. Now remember, we're in Mark 10, so we've not gone back very far. And right here in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, we read this. They came to Capernaum, that's his disciples, and he was in the house and he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? They kept silent because on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest he sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Look at this in 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me Receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, you flip to Mark 10. Why is Jesus indignant? Didn't I just try to teach you all? What is it about this that you all do not understand? I have come for these kind of people. Jesus is wanting them to see I, we've been talking about this. I've not come to, to take the powerful and get them on board so that they can help propagate the message. I've come for the people like the children. They're the target. They're the core of what's going on. Brothers and sisters, we have a mission And as followers of Christ, we're called to be on mission with Jesus and to be making disciples, to be spreading the gospel, to be his witnesses. However, if we do not understand why Jesus became angry at this point, we will not be able to accomplish our true mission personally or corporately as a church. This is huge. Jesus did not see this young group of people as a burden or as a distraction to be eliminated. Jesus identifies this group, the children, as the core of his mission. This was not some auxiliary group of people that needed to be taken care of and needed to be babysat while Jesus got on with the real ministry. Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's teaching us people like the children are the very target of Jesus's ministry. And if we are to be on mission with Him, and if we are to be His witnesses, we must understand that as well. This is the target. This is the mission. So when we stand as believers and as a church and we say, unborn babies are valuable and religiously persecuted minorities are valuable, and orphans are valuable, and children that are trapped in the foster care system are valuable, and elderly women or men who can no longer recognize their family members are valuable and those that rely on social welfare systems for help are valuable and those who are coming to us asking us for help are valuable when we have these values we run cross grain to the culture but right in step with the mission of Jesus and that's what the disciples needed to hear That's what we need to hear this morning. But we don't always think in those terms. Look, I understand that it's easy for us to sort of fall back into this way of thinking like the disciples had. For some of us, like those of you who may be in business, I know that the temptation that exists to spend the most time with the people who have influence over your ability to work your way up the ladder and to neglect those who can't really do anything for you in that regard. Or for maybe some of you teachers, that one kid in your class that just struggles, that needs extra help, that is always sort of needy, It's maybe it's easier at times to focus on the one who's a little smarter, the one who looks like their future is a little more concrete than the one who's vulnerable and needs a lot of help. We can easily fall back into this thinking. However, in the economy of the gospel and the kingdom of God, brothers and sisters, the people with power are not the ones who have the most to offer from the perspective of money, influence, or fame. Instead, the Apostle Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You see it? Jesus teaches, and back in Mark 10, the end of verse 14, it says he became indignant. Then he said to them, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. One of the reasons that Jesus was upset with the disciples is because they had forgotten where they had come from. You think about this for a minute. The disciples are saying, Children, these children need to go away because Jesus needs to spend his time with the political leaders, the religious leaders, the people with the money and the power and the influence. And Jesus, I can imagine, looks at them and says, Do you remember where you were when I called you? Oh, that's right. You were out fishing. You are out on some boat somewhere with no influence over hardly anyone, and you are the ones I'm about to spend three years with of my life. Oh, you're the tax collectors. You're the ones who are seen in the community as the liars and the embezzlers and all of that. And so I imagine part of Jesus' anger is that okay, you're going to treat these people like this without remembering that's exactly where you had come from. You were not the ones with the power and the influence. So why do you expect that that's who I've come for now? I I was recently in a group meeting with a lot of foster families, and I got to talking to one of the uh, families, and they were telling me about... uh, the uh, experience they had of trying to find a good Bible-believing gospel preaching church that they could attend as a family. But this foster family uh, is fo- their foster parents to a young teenage boy who comes out of the background of both physical and sexual abuse. And because of that, there's tons of baggage. There's all kind of disorders and this and that and the other. And so they were telling me about going to some churches in our area. And they said, one church we went to and visited. And the church said, look, you, you all probably should go somewhere else that's a little better equipped to handle your, the issues that your family has. Another church, he said... They were actually, after the service like this, they were getting ready to leave, and one of the members of the church came up to them and said, hey, look, uh, you know, you all may need to find somewhere else to go because your son was just too distracting for me during the service. I couldn't listen. I couldn't. I wonder if Jesus would look at those churches with indignation in his eyes and say, do not hinder. This, This is not about the powerful. This is not about the ones with the most strength and the ones with the most influence. This is about those people who are broken. Those people who are coming because they're broken and they need a word of encouragement and of love and of acceptance and of support. This is the kingdom of Jesus and this is exactly at the core and the heart of our Savior. In our culture, weakness and dependence are bad things. And there's an assumption that independence and self-power are the most prized possessions that a person can have. And the church is being called by our Lord to combat this mindset with an opposite mindset. Weakness and dependence are okay. And not just okay. They are required for salvation and admittance into the kingdom of God. Let's continue to read as we close. It says this in verse 15. Now look, in your Bible, if you ever notice Jesus saying truly, or like the old King James, verily, verily, like you need to listen because he's about to say something really important. In verse 15 he says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, Jesus is not calling us to become childish. He's calling us to a level of weakness and dependence upon him understanding we don't have anything that's within our power to bring to God. Pastor Keith says it like this, we come to God with our pockets turned inside out. Nothing to offer, hands open, God, I've got nothing for you. But thank you for your grace like we we need you. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying 2 Corinthians 12:9, my power is made perfect in your weakness. The message we have for the outside world is a message of dependence and weakness. It's a message of powerlessness and dependency upon God. This informs how we share the gospel. I, I don't know if you all have ever been to a conference where they were... Whoops, let me put that back. Uh, a conference where they've been introducing some of the speakers... And they'll get up, they'll have somebody come up, and they'll introduce the speaker. This person is so smart, they have 14 degrees, and this person has all this experience, and they've been the CEO of these companies, and they've influenced these many. In other words, you ought to listen to this person because of their resume. At this point, Jesus picks up a child and says, let me do a little introduction. This is what you need. This is what qualifies you to come into the kingdom of God. Nothing else matters. No power, nothing to offer, none of that. Let's end with verse 16. Jesus took them in his arms, blessed them, and laid his hands on them. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows what's gone on in your life. And you don't have to get your life together. You don't have to put your life together in order to come to Jesus. You're simply received by Him if you're desperately dependent upon Him. And may today, may we all find ourselves in that position. Not shame on you for what you've done, but Lay your life down in dependency upon him, and he will give you freedom in himself. Let the children come. May we be a church that says, let the children come. Let the weak come. Let the vulnerable come, let the widows come, let the elderly come, let all of those come who the world says, you have nothing to offer us. Jesus says, you're exactly the kind of people we are because brothers and sisters, we're the same as the disciples. Paul says this, not many of us were noble None of us were Caesars, none of us were kings, and yet God has saved us and redeemed us and used us. Church, when we say things like that and we act in ways like that, when we welcome those kind of people, we're seen as strange by the world and as faithful by our savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, forgive us of times where we have neglected to see the core of your mission. And we recognize that the core of your mission were not the people that didn't think they had any issues, but they were the broken and the vulnerable and the weak. And we see all throughout your word about how you've used the weak to shame the wise, to accomplish things within your kingdom. You, to, you've you taken shepherds out of the field and made them kings. You've taken murderers and made them into the greatest missionaries that the world has ever known, God. And you've taken our lives from the depths and the depravity of sin to a trophy of your grace ready to be used. God, thank you. God, we praise you for that. God, help us to welcome in all those who are broken, all those who are weak, because we recognize that's the core of the mission of Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.